Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verses 34 and 40. Matthew 22, verses 34 and 40. As I was preparing this message, I was thinking about the book of Ecclesiastes. If you remember, we don't know the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, but um, he ends his book. He calls himself the preacher all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And he ends his book famously by saying, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. The whole duty of man, the whole responsibility of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, he's saying, this is what every person should concern themselves with. Every single person. This is, this is what you were created for. I believe that's what he's saying. Fear God, keep his commandments. You were created for this. And I believe that in our passage that we're coming to today in Matthew, we have a similar truth. What every person should concern themselves with the most, the most. We have an amazingly clarifying passage from Jesus today. And I pray that he will clear away the clutter of our Christian lives sometimes even well-intentioned clutter. And he's going to get straight to the heart. Straight to the heart. And he's going to give us what is singularly the most important matter for all of us to devote our lives to, to devote our attention to. The most important matter for every single person, I believe. One of the things that's so difficult for me to see is how divided our Christian culture is sometimes, let alone our secular culture, yeah, but our Christian culture oftentimes is so divided, is it not? On, on so many things, we, we love to argue about second order issues, third order issues, and if you know me, you know I believe those are important, they have their place in our Christian lives, but Jesus is going to teach us in fact, in the very next chapter of Matthew, there are weightier matters of the law. There are things of greatest importance for us. The Pharisees, just like us, were really good at focusing on the smallest, minute commandments and neglecting the most important matters of the law. Are we not just as susceptible to that? We're just as susceptible to that. Jesus wants to show us today what has to be the white hot core of our lives, church family. This is what should animate, animate us totally. Does that make sense? What Jesus is going to give us today. And we heard it read from our brother Josh already today. He's going to tell us what the whole duty, I believe, of man is in this passage. The most important thing, and you can see my title is, Of First and Greatest Importance. Of First and Greatest Importance. So if you're taking notes, you can write that at the top of your page. I hope that's a faithful title. It seems like that is what Jesus is going straight at in this passage. Remind us quickly of our context 
Remember, we've been in this section where the Pharisees and different religious leaders, they have challenged Jesus' authority. And you remember that didn't go so so well. Um, Jesus rebukes them by telling three parables, one after another. Boom, 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 three parables. And he's showing that these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these Jewish people, they've rejected their king. They've rejected their Messiah. They've rejected kingdom responsibilities, Jesus showed them in those parables. They've rejected their kingdom privileges, Jesus has shown them in in those parables. And now they're going to try all that they can to diminish Jesus' authority still by trying to entangle him in his words. Trying to test him. See if he can say something wrong so that we can cause a riot and throw him out of power. We saw two weeks ago... The Pharisees gather together to conspire. What do they do? They send disciples and the Herodians. Pastor Justin preached that passage wonderfully. Remember the question that they bring to him? Should, should one pay taxes to Caesar? He says, give me a coin. He hands them a denarius and he says, whose picture is on this coin? Whose inscription? And they say, well, Caesar's. It's his image on the coin. He says, well, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give to God the things that belong to God. Remember that? Flag that, because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. Last week, Pastor Moises, we, he introduced us to the Sadducees. And you remember, Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. They only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. And they came to Jesus with their question. Remember about the leveret marriage, the Old Testament law, that if my, brother's, if my brother passed away, I would take his wife and they, they said, okay, this hypothetical question, Jesus, okay, if a woman was married and her husband dies six times, and in the resurrection, you know, which of these seven men would you be married to? They all had her. You remember Jesus redirects it totally. He says, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not going to be that way in the resurrection. And then he says something so indicting. You do not know, he says to them, the scriptures. And you do not know the power of God. And let me tell you, in our community group last week, we had such a rich time talking about how even we make the same mistake today. We miss all sorts of scriptures in the Bible. So often we can struggle with the same thing. We miss the power of God in so many ways. And I hope last week you had fruitful time talking about that in your, in your small groups. And remember, he, right before his drop the mic moment, Remember, he quotes, he says, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. He goes, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You're quite wrong. And then remember, Pastor Moses said, mic drop, okay? That was a mic drop moment from Jesus. Silences them, silences them. And today, we see the Pharisees again Gathering back together to conspire their next test for Jesus. And maybe they're trying to capitalize on the momentum that now he's put the Sadducees down, their enemies. Maybe now they can sneak in and maybe gain the upper foot on their enemies now. They have an opportunity to test him again. And what was so striking to me and sad at the same time is you would just think that Pharisees, who deeply believed in the doctrine of the resurrection. They taught it. They defended the doctrine of the resurrection. You would just think that after their enemies had been silenced and the truth was defended and that they found out that Jesus himself held to the doctrine of the resurrection, 
that they would have at least responded as the crowd did in verse 33. Look at verse 33 in chapter 22. When the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But notice, at the beginning of our passage in chapter 34, the whole passage I think can be on the screens here for us if you don't have a Bible. But notice in verse 34 the contrast that our passage starts with. It starts with the word but. But. In other words, Matthew's drawing us immediately to a contrast. He's saying something that has come before is different to what's coming after. Do you see that? When the crowd heard it, verse 33, they were astonished at his teaching, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And let me tell you, they weren't gathering to throw a party for Jesus. Can we agree with that? In the context, gathering together means they're conspiring together. They're plotting. They're plotting Matthew wants us to see that the very ones that should be worshiping their Messiah and marveling at their king are the very ones that are continuing to reject him and plot evil against him. I was thinking about in Exodus chapter 4 when God calls Israel his firstborn son. You remember that? He says, I'm going to call my firstborn son out of Egypt. And as I was reading this passage, I was just thinking of the heartache. I was thinking of wayward children, wayward children. You know, I don't have kids that are very old, but I, I can imagine that one of the greatest heartbreaks that we, one could ever experience is watching a child you've poured your life into, taught the scriptures, prayed for, and after 18 years, just walk away from it all. I, I, I say that to inject some emotion in this passage. I, I think Jesus is heartbroken, just as he has righteous anger, that these are the people who've had the promises. They've had the scriptures. They should know better, and they're stiff-arming. They're stiff-arming their Messiah. Well, they gather together, verse 34 and 35 says, with motives to test him. And it says that an expert in the law, the ESV and the NASB says lawyer. And there's a lot of connotations, right? When we hear the word lawyer today, we think of someone who's expert in legal matters, adjudication, right? Um, court of law, things like that. At this time, this is just an expert in the law. The NIV, I think, makes that clear. An expert in the law. Mark calls this a scribe. This is someone who is an expert in the law. And in verse 36, look at verse 36 with me. This is what he says and what he asks Jesus. Teacher, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Have you ever uh, been out in public and, oh, oh this maybe, maybe my kids, this has happened before. Have you ever been out in public and you hear a child call a parent by their first name? <sighs> Maybe I'm going to reveal how traditional I am. Um, there is something that's like nails on a chalkboard for us, isn't there? Something that just seems so disrespectful and unfitting 
for a child to address their parents by their first name. It's not honoring to them, is it? And here comes this expert in the law. Teacher, and I hope your ears are ringing. We've seen that word, a pattern of that word over and over. Matthew has shown us those who are skeptical of Jesus and rejecting Jesus are the ones calling him teacher over and over. And those who are receiving Jesus and running to Jesus and understand their need for Jesus are calling him curios, Lord, Lord, I know who you are. I may not have all the answers, but I know you're sent from God. Teacher, says the expert in the law, to the one whom the whole law points to. To the one who created him. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? The word great, it means greatest, right? That's clear. Other, other translations say that greatest, which is the greatest. He wants to know what is the greatest. And this, is a, this was a tradition, well-documented tradition among Pharisees to categorize laws and commandments. Something like 613 laws that they dialoguing about regularly and ranking. So maybe I can get Jesus who has already proven that he has some radical views on the law. Maybe I can get him to misspeak here. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Notice Jesus doesn't redirect like he has been over and over. He doesn't redirect to a former rebuke as he has over and over again that we've seen in the previous sections. He answers him directly. Do you notice that? He answers him directly from where? Well, we read it already this morning. Deuteronomy 5. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. The Hebrew Shema. They would have known this. They recited it twice a day. This was totally uncontroversial. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 37. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is the great and first commandment. Commandment. No doubt this scribe, expert in the law, would have agreed with Jesus. But then notice, Jesus goes beyond the original question. You notice that? He goes beyond the initial question that was asked to him. And he says, and a second is like it. A second is like it. And Jesus quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18. When he gives this next command, Leviticus 19, 18, by saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A second is like it. What does he mean by that, do you think? A second is like it. He means this one is of first and greatest importance as well. Do you see that? How do I know that's what he means? In Mark, after Jesus explains both of these commandments, he says, and no other Commandment, singular, is greater than these. Jesus wants them to see that this one, a second, is like it in first and greatest importance, church family. We've got to hear this. Jesus is tethering these two commandments inextricably together. He is saying that love for God and love for others are inseparable realities. Love for God and love for others, they're inseparable 
He knows the struggle of the Pharisees. In chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, that passage about you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. Remember that? He's reflecting these minute laws in Leviticus and places of not wanting to drink or eat an unclean insect. And he's saying, you really pay close attention to make sure that not even the smallest insect gets into your drink. But then you swallow a camel and you don't even realize it. And he's using hyperbole to say, you highlight these smaller, lesser commandments to the neglect of the greatest, most important realities. A second is like it. And then he sums up everything in verse 40. Look at verse 40, how Jesus closes. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. All the law, and the NIV says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What is, what is, what is he saying? He's saying that all other commandments, get this, flow out of these two commandments. He's saying all other commandments are summed up and contained within these two commandments. Do you hear that? All other commandments flow out of these two. Think for a moment about the the 10 commandments. The first four of the 10 commandments have to do with our devotion to God. The last six have to do with how we treat other people. Love for God, love for other people. This is of first and greatest importance. Think about Matthew 7, 22, just in how we've been primed for this truth already in Matthew. Matthew 7, 12, whatever you wish, the golden rule, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Then he says, for this is the law in prophets. You remember that? Matthew 7, verse 12. For this is the law and prophets. That's what he's saying here. A second is like it in first and greatest importance. We don't have time. Lots of New Testament authors pick up the same theme. Galatians and in Romans and other places. So what is Jesus teaching this Pharisee and us today? Well, he's showing us that no other commandment is greater than these, right? Nothing is more important for us, church family, to focus on. Not just This church family, maybe you're visiting here and you don't consider yourself a Christian. This is what what you were created for. To love God. To have his love be shown to other people. This is a call for every single one of us in this room to come back to the center of everything. The core of our faith to come back to home base, to come back to home base. If you've been gravitating, if we've been, if we've been gravitating towards the margins of the Christian faith, hear this as a call from Jesus today. Come back to the white hot center of your life that should affect every other secondary conversation. If you are tempted to gravitate towards the margins, don't miss what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is what it's all about. This is is what uh, is of first and greatest importance. Everything else flows from this. Love for God 
and love for other people. It's amazing the temptations, and I feel it in my own life, amazing the temptations to hang out on the fringes of Christianity. You see it on social media. You see it in arguments that we have in person. We spend all of our time arguing about things that are important, but they're not ultimate. They're not central. Are we living in the end times? Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? You know, should Christians dance? Should, should Christians drink alcohol? Um, well, are, how, how conservative are you? Well, that's not my version of, you know, being conservative. Who did you vote for? I mean, on and on and on. And these consume us sometimes, do they not? They can consume all of our energy, all of our emotion. And what ends up happening is they consume you to the point where you abandon what is most important for your life as a Christian. You defy what it means to be a Christian, which is to love God and love other people. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that secondary conversations aren't important. I think they're important. Third order issues, second order, they're important to talk about. But they should not be what characterizes us the most. Some people just walk around ready to pounce, locked and loaded, whether on social media or in person. Secondary issues, debates have their place. They're important. It should not be what characterizes Christians the most. Can I say that again? Debates on secondary issues are important, but they should not be what characterizes Christians the most. So what should characterize us the most? And let's just unpack this a little bit if we can. Jesus is saying that the first and greatest commandment is to love God at the core of your being. Notice this isn't superficial love. This is a love that comes from the depth of our hearts. So it's fundamentally a heart posture. Notice that. Pastor John said that earlier. This is an attitude towards God. It's speaking about the depths of our inner being, our soul. And it's calling us to apply our fullest ability of understanding with our minds to see the riches and the depths, the height, all, all, all that passage, right? To see all of that in who our God is. It's calling us to love God even with our minds. I'm, I'm, I'm bothered when people say, you know, I just, I just want a simple faith. I don't want to study. And I understand that sentiment. But no, God's word calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, all of our faculties, so we can understand him in greater ways, so that we don't have an inaccurate view of who our God is and end up worshiping another God. We should love the Lord, your, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind. Some add strength. This isn't primarily trying to teach different compartments 
of personhood. That's not the point of the passage. But he's saying all of our being, we are to love God. It's a heart posture. And I think that's important because here's why. Commandments, when we hear the word commandment, we tend to think of obedience. And obedience is important. But the great commandment, notice, the great commandment begins with our affections. The great commandment begins with our affections. He wants us to see all obedience begins with our affections. I want to say that again. All of our obedience begins with our affections. Let me ask you, church family, what do you love the most? What do you love the most? I can't answer that question for you. When you're at home alone and nobody's around you, and you're not, you can't show off. When you ask yourself that, what do I love the most? What you love the most is going to shape your life. All obedience begins with affections. This isn't a cold, detached obedience. Notice. Without a heart that loves God, our commandment keeping spirals downward into legalism. Do you see that? Without a heart that is in love with God, your obedience will spiral downward into legalism. So do you have a heart today that loves God? Do you have a heart today that loves God? There may be some sitting in the room that are, that are asking the question, well, Kurt, why in the world should I love God? I don't expect that everybody in here maybe grew up in church or is a Christian or maybe some are here and they're checking out Christianity. Why should I love God? And, and I just want to go back quickly to two weeks ago, what Jesus taught us in the parable, or not the parable, when the Herodians threw him the coin. Do you remember what he taught? He said, whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said, Caesar. And he said, well, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. So let me ask you something. What belongs to God? Every human being. Why? Because God's likeness an inscription, an image is on every human being. Do you see that? Why should you love God? Well, the Bible says you should love God because he created you. He knows you perfectly. He made you in his image. He knows you perfectly. He sees all of your flaws all of your brokenness, all of your sins. And he loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you because our sin makes us deserve death. So maybe a, a more important question for us to answer is why would you not love God? Why would you not love the God who created you, who's, who made you in his image, to worship him. That's what you were created for. This relationship is what every person was created for. Then, then he moves into saying the second thing that's as of first and greatest importance. Love for others. The second thing. Love for others just as you love yourself. The point is, the point is, is that God's love moves outward isn't that the point? God's love moves outward towards others. 
loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it doesn't just lead us to a private, individualistic, personal faith. I've heard that before. I have a personal faith. And again, I would just say that is cultural Christianity. That's Western spirituality. That's not biblical Christianity. It leads us outward. Loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it leads us to love others. You can't have the first, Jesus is saying, without the second. You can't have the first without the second. You can't have the second without the first. Listen to how John speaks of this. I think this is on our screens. 1 John 4. Listen to how John speaks about this truth. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. I don't think there could be a clearer verse in all the Bible. For he who does not love his brother, whom he's not seen, cannot love God. I'm sorry, who, who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you hear what he's saying? Whoever claims he loves God must also love his brother. Nobody should ever say, I love God. I'm just not a very loving person. That doesn't work. You can't have the first without the second. You can't say, I, the flip side, I'm a really loving person. I just, I reject the God of the Bible. That doesn't work either. You can't truly love other people. Even radical love. You can't truly love other people if that love is not rooted in and tethered to the scriptures. John again says in the, in the book of 1 John, God is love. Any forms of love that we see in this world are just echoes of the love that we see perfectly coming to us in the scriptures. Often we see counterfeits of love in our culture, but they're not rightly, correctly, fully love in its fullest sense. God defines that because God is love. And just a quick reminder in Matthew 7, there's going to be many people who say on judgment day, I knew you, God. I loved you. I'm paraphrasing here. God, I knew you. I did many things for you. He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. Many people who have a kind of outward, external devotion to God, but their lives horizontally betray their confession. What's the point of, of him saying, love others as yourself? Does that mean that he's, he's promoting self-love? No, that's not the point. That's not, that's not the point to promote self-love. It's just to say that love for ourselves naturally flows out of us, doesn't it? Let me ask you, this past week, did you have any trouble uh, remembering to take a shower? Well, I hope not. Did you have any trouble remembering to feed yourself? Did you have any trouble remembering to look both ways before you crossed the street? Why, why did you do that? Because it's instinctual for us to take care of ourselves. And on that basic level, the Bible says that's normal. And it's saying, this is what kind of love you should extend towards others. Philippians 2, don't look only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the mind that Christ had towards you, it says. 
To make this even harder, do you remember Luke chapter 10? Man comes to him, who's my neighbor? You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, what it's made to illustrate. Even your greatest enemy, even your greatest enemy is your neighbor. Samaritans and Jews were great enemies. Jewish man falls among robbers. Here goes the priest, pays no attention to him. There goes the Levite, pays no attention to him. A Samaritan comes by. He had every reason to turn his back on this poor man. And instead, the passage in Luke 10 says this, he had compassion on him. He's supposed to be your enemy. He had compassion on him. It says he took care of him in that passage. Later on, it says he showed him mercy. He showed him mercy. This love for others means loving even our greatest enemies, church family. Seeking to care for them in practical ways. So there's no other commandment greater than these. This is a first and greatest important church family. And in conclusion, I just want us to get honest for a moment, okay? I just want us to get honest for a moment and say none of us keep this commandment perfectly, do we? In fact, that was one of the most difficult parts in preparing for this sermon is just coming over and over to my own failures of this great commandment. We fail at this in so many ways. And in in so many ways, this can sound almost impossible for us. And so I just want to say a response to a couple of different kinds of people in here. I think this is important to say. For those in the room who are not believers, I want to first say something to you. If you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're checking out Christianity, the Bible teaches that being able to love God from your heart is the promise of the gospel, is the promise of the new covenant. Loving God from from the heart is brought about, hear this, is brought about by the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in you when you believe the gospel. Believing in the good news about Jesus is what frees you from bondage to sin and allows you to be free to love God and others. We don't just have the Old Covenant. We don't just have the Old Testament. We have the whole Bible. We have the New Testament. We see how all this has been fulfilled in Jesus. If you go and read Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, it's, it's, foreshadow- it's foretelling this new covenant that's coming. Listen to this passage in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. Listen to its relevance on what we're talking about today. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Why would he do that? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. The New Testament calls this being born again. In John 3, being born of the Spirit, being born again. So don't leave here today. If you, if you don't know Jesus, don't leave here today. And so I just was told I need to try really hard to love God and I just need to try extra hard to love other people. No, that would be like trying to put you in a time capsule and send you back into the Old Testament. We don't have just the Old Testament. We have all the scriptures. We've seen how it's been fulfilled. So don't try to keep these commandments apart from God's work 
in your heart. You need Jesus this morning to put a new heart in you. And he can do that today. He can do that today. That's what happens when we're saved. The heart of stone gets taken out and a heart of flesh is put in. I'll be here at the front at the end. Corey, John, other ministers. There's many spirit-filled brothers and sisters sitting around you in this room. If you want to know more about what it means to have Jesus put a new heart inside of you, he can do that today. Now I want to talk to the believers in the room. For those of you here today, like me, going, I fail at this. I'm not perfect at this. My love for God feels weak so many days. My love for others fails so many days. The first thing I think is fundamental I have to say to you is look to Christ. Look to Christ and his righteousness this morning. Look to Christ and his righteousness this morning. When your love fails, what is your confidence before God? It's not your perfect love for God. It's that there was one person, there was one person, church family, who did love his father perfectly. He never, he never wavered in that. There was one person, church family, who loved other people perfectly and never failed at that. And that one person, what did he do? He went and got on the cross and he took all of our imperfections and all of our sins on himself. And that when we come to know this Jesus, he gives to us his perfect life. What an, what an exchange. Look to Christ on your weak days. Look to him. He's perfectly kept that. And you stand before a holy God with his righteous robes on, don't you? Then I want to say to you with equal force, I want to ask you today, the Holy Spirit has brought this passage to us to make us wrestle with this question. How are you doing at obeying the great commandment? The Holy Spirit wants us to wrestle with that. If you're here and you're in Christ, you can love God. You've been given a new heart. You can love him. You've been rescued from the bondage of sin and you can love God. Isn't that amazing? You can love other people with a biblical kind of love. Even if it's faint and imperfect, we can and we can grow in it. We can grow in it because we've been given help. Amen? We've been given help through the Holy Spirit who's now been given to reside in every single Christian we should be led to search our hearts and evaluate where we can grow in love for God, in love for others. I think I put this on the screens. So in spirit-empowered, grace-driven effort, we must leave here today seeking to grow in love of God and love for others. How are we doing with that, church family? The glory of God that we want to shine brightly out of first Irving will be hindered if we all walk out of here today and we don't look at all like the great commandment, right? The glory of God's at stake. So maybe you've been confronted with some of your failures as I was this week. 
I just want to remind you that confrontation is God's grace to you. How can you think this week, today, what, what ways can I grow in coming back to the center of everything? The, the great commandment, how can I grow in that? This is God's grace to you to bring this to your attention today. How can you have healthy introspection this week? Some practical ways. Really quick, I'm just rapid fire. Some suggestions. Are you heading to lunch today? Will you have waiters? Will you have people that take your order? How can you show concern and love and intentionality to those people? My brother was in the, was a waiter for years. Many waiters called Sundays hell day. Because so many people in churches would come out of those churches in the restaurant, mistreat waiting staff, tip horribly, and walk out. Church family, I've been praying that the gospel and the churches in Irving would not be like that. Are you going to lunch today? How can you bless your waiters? Are you putting your kids down for naps today? That's a way to show love for other people. Care for your spouse, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's multifaceted, isn't it? At your job this week, how could you in practical ways consider your coworkers as more important than yourself? How could you think about that? How could you consider your coworkers as more important than yourselves? How could you bless your coworkers? What about husbands? How could you bless your wife? How could you honor her as 1 Peter 3 calls you to? How do you talk about others and to others when you're on social media? Do your comments reflect the great commandment? We should be so careful, church family, to get on social media and just rapid fire blaze at people. Be so careful with that. Does it reflect this? It's of first and greatest importance, Jesus says. Is there someone who you can cons- that you consider an enemy in your life? Is there somebody God's brought to your mind to say, I have not shown love for them? Someone I've disagreed with so much about and I've just avoided them and I've gossiped about them. How could you this week turn the tables on that and reach out to that person, get lunch with them, talk with them? How could you take it a step further, find a way to bless that person, to show them mercy as the parable of the Good Samaritan says. Christ abundantly has shown us that kind of mercy, has he not? We want to live out Paul's exhortation in Romans 12 saying, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's always been challenging for me. So these are just ideas. The Holy Spirit's going to bring many more to you, I trust. How can we be faithful, church family, with this? Grace-driven effort, spirit-empowered effort. How can we grow in this? Even as we remember the cross, even as we look to Jesus, our ultimate righteousness on our weekdays. The musicians are about to come and you're going to have an opportunity to respond in song. You're going to have an opportunity to respond and come down. You might need to pray. Pull one of us aside if you need to do that and ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to have a new heart put inside of me? We'd love to talk with you more about that. Maybe you just need to come and, and kneel at these steps and pray privately. You're welcome to do any of that. Now's the time, church family, as the Spirit is speaking this morning. Come, respond. God's word always demands a response. Let's pray together as the musicians come. Lord, we look 
to you every week in your word because we're changed by it. And the rough edges of our lives are smoothed off. So we humbly bow before your holy authoritative word this morning and say, change us. Thank you, Jesus, for the new life we've been given through your work, the new hearts we've been given through your work, and the Holy Spirit that we have that empowers us to live a supernatural life, to love you from our hearts, to have a fundamental attitude shift towards how we feel about you and to have a re-hardwiring done in how we think about other people. Lord, help us grow. Holy Spirit, help us grow. Help us think about where we must repent and turn and become more like you, Jesus, who perfectly lived out this great commandment. So we look to you now. Help us respond faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.